welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy! Hey Kingdom Culture family, Happy New Year again. So great to see you. Welcome to those that are watching today online with us, our Kingdom Culture community, as well as anyone watching online for the first time. Welcome, welcome. Please let us know where you're from in the chat. Like, subscribe, share the link. If you're watching from Facebook, uh, the same as well. It helps us spread the word. And I just believe God is going to really speak to you this morning. I, my, my prayer is that God would comfort you and God would give you some keys in this season to shake off some stuff that's coming against you or has tried to come against you or that may that may come against you coming uh coming soon in this season i I believe god's going to give us some keys today to learn how to move through some stuff through the life of nehemiah nehemiah was a great figurehead in the bible his name in the hebrew means god comforts which is why i believe god wants to bring us comfort this morning he was a man in the fifth century who encouraged his people to rebuild the broken down walls in jerusalem that had been ransacked by the babylonians and king nebuchadnezzar under his rule not only were the walls broken down under king nebuchadnezzar but the temple was also in ruins and and years and years had passed the temple had been rebuilt but the walls were still in ruins. And so Nehemiah gets a heart, gets a vision to rebuild the walls. The walls really symbolize and make the statement of Jerusalem being secure, God's city being strong, God's city being stable. Without the walls, it was a statement of vulnerability, a statement of exposure. And so Nehemiah had this heart. And at the time he got this vision, He was actually, you know, just to give you a little bit of a backdrop, Nehemiah was an exiled Jewish boy and exiled into Persia until the Medes and the Persians defeated King Nebuchadnezzar and took control of his empire. And so now Nehemiah is serving under King Artaxerxes as the cupbearer, a a position of high authority, a position of great risk. He would often drink the cup before it was passed to the king to make sure there wasn't poison in the cup. And so every day he was putting his life on the line. He was putting his life at risk. And this was all part of his preparation process. It was all part of his journey leading up to what I want to share and and how God is going to speak to us, I believe, and comfort us in this season moving forward and giving us some tools to break through. Now, if you know the story a little bit about Nehemiah, I mean, he's And I'm going to read it to you in a a few moments. But Nehemiah, like I said, gets a vision to rebuild the broken down walls. And he had to come up against some intimidating circumstances. There were some people that did not like what he was doing. Just like there are some people that will not like what you are doing in 2021. There are some people that will not like the things that you're building, the things that you're going after, the vision that you have, the focus that you have. They will not 
like it. So how do we maneuver in seasons like this when it seems like the, not only the people that maybe we care about or maybe don't care about don't like what we're doing or what if the situation and the season seems to be opposed to us doing what we feel we are called to do. Well, Nehemiah had to maneuver through this. And so we're gonna learn some keys through the story of Nehemiah and him encouraging his people to rebuild the walls and not give up. I wanna read one verse as we dive into this. It says in Nehemiah chapter six, verse nine. It's verse nine. This is right near the end of when the walls were totally redone. Okay, it took 52 days to rebuild the walls. This was, this was an impossible, daunting, no way it's gonna happen type of a task. But because God was on their side and because God put it in the heart of Nehemiah and eventually into the heart of the people to rebuild the walls, they came together and they did the impossible. Nehemiah chapter six, verse nine says this. They were just trying to intimidate us. Okay, and I'm. This is speaking of of you have Tobiah, you have uh, you have Geshem, you have Sanballat, who was an officer in Samaria, and a whole bunch of other enemies that were kind of under the leadership and influence of these three people. Okay, so here we are in verse nine of chapter six. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued to work with even greater determination. My prayer for you in this season as God comforts you today is that you would work with greater determination in 2021 than in 2020. That whatever's come against you, whether it's the pandemic, whether it's situations and seasons uh, throughout, you know, the last season, little scenarios or, or, or problems in the workplace or people in the workplace, whatever has come against you in the last season, my prayer is that all of that would become fuel to the fire in this season and you will work with greater determination. I want to speak today on the subject, shaking off intimidation, shaking off intimidation, building undistracted. Building, what does it mean to build undistracted? Nehemiah had to do this. He was building and he was, there was all kinds of distractions, all kinds of intimidations, all kinds of threats and accusations coming at him in his quest to rebuild the walls. Like I said, the walls make the statement of, of stability, of security, of protection, of defense. I feel like in the last season, there's been a vulnerability. I feel like walls have come down in so many of our lives and not good walls. There's of course good walls for them to come down. You know, the walls that stop us from being free or the walls that are holding us back or the walls that seem to be keeping us in a bad place. There's walls that need to come down, but there's also walls that need to stay up. Walls of stability, walls of security, walls like the study of the word, walls like prayer, walls like engaging the right battles and not in the wrong ones. Walls of focus and vision, boldness and faith, walls of purpose and confidence, joy and strength, walls of truth. So many of these walls, I've watched it in the last season, the last 10 and a half months. I've watched so many of these walls that were once protection for so many faith-filled people. These walls begin to crumble. These walls begin to get weaker because of the season, because of the threats, because of the accusations, because of maybe the people problems. Now remember this, people are never our problem. You know, Ephesians 6 talks about how our warfare is not carnal. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not flesh and blood. It's actually 
There's principalities and powers, rulers of darkness. It's a spiritual battle. It's always a spiritual battle. We're fighting not each other, but what's influencing each other. That's what we're really fighting. But in this context, I want to just bring a different perspective because even in the Bible in the Old Testament, in situations like this where Nehemiah would call these threats and these people his enemies, really what he is saying is, whatever is influencing these people is my enemy. So I wanna read it through that lens and I, I believe God is gonna help bring some healing today. God's gonna help rebuild some of these walls again that have been broken down that I believe God wants to rebuild today and, and through your life. So I wanna give you four keys to shake off intimidation found in the story of Nehemiah and the people rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Number one, first key, first key in shaking off intimidation and building in an undistracted way, which is what God wants us for, wants for all of us in 2021, is number one, remain confident in the calling. Remain confident in the calling confident in the calling. Now, remember, I said this earlier, Nehemiah was called to be a cupbearer initially. He was serving under King Artaxerxes. And uh, I don't have to read it. Maybe I'll paraphrase some of it. But if you read Nehemiah chapter two and the first three verses, Nehemiah is doing his daily routine and work for King Artaxerxes. He comes in to the presence of the king. And like not any other day, he came in sad. He had heard the report of the walls still uh, being broken down in Jerusalem and he was sad. He felt like that was wrong. Something is not right. The protection, the stability, the defense, it's not there like it should be. The temple has been rebuilt, but the walls also need to be rebuilt. It says, you can read the first three verses. He came in and he was troubled and the king said, why are you so sad? Why are you so sad? And uh, he responds in verse three, long live the king. How can I not, not be sad for the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Gates have been destroyed by fire. And so, you know, through conversation, the king ends up giving him the commission, giving him uh, what he needs, giving him the letters of notice, the encouragement, the, the provisions, whatever he needs to go forth and actually fulfill his vision. Now let me fast forward a little bit to verse 18. As people begin to get word of this, as people begin to get word of what Nehemiah is going to attempt to do to rebuild these walls, it says this, then I told them in verse 18, chapter two, then I told them about how the gracious hand of God has been upon me, about my conversation with the king. This is as he's presenting his vision, what he's gonna do. They replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they begin the good work. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, who I mentioned earlier, the Arab, heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king, they asked? Are you rebelling against, what are you doing? And that's kind of, I believe, what happens with all of us at times. If we're to remain confident in our calling, we need to remember what we've been called to. People are always gonna question your calling. What are you doing? What are you doing with your life? You think that's actually gonna work? What are you doing? Even in their response, even in the edge of their responses, they responded contemptuously. 
What are you doing? You think you're actually gonna do this? You think you're actually called to this in 2021? You think you're actually gonna build this business? You think you're actually gonna make it? You think you're actually gonna homeschool your kids with success? You think you're actually gonna handle that promotion at work well? Do you think you're actually gonna get through this pandemic? Listen, if God has called you to it, he will always lead you through it. Although that sounds cliche, it's absolutely true. Every time I've wanted to give up, every time I've been discouraged in any area of my life, the first thing that I always do, well, maybe not the first thing, but at least within the first three things I do usually, after maybe I complain a little bit, I stay, you know, I, 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 you know, woe is me, things are horrible. I think about and remember that God has called me. That whatever God, if God has called me to something that I feel currently discouraged in, I lean on that and not on the discouragement. And it's, it's honestly easier said than done, but it's a truth. If we do not stay and lean into the word over our lives, we will lose our confidence in the calling over our lives. And Nehemiah had to stand strong in this. Let's continue on verse 20. I replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed. He confessed his calling. He confessed his calling. When you confess your calling, when it's questioned, you will initiate confidence. When you confess your calling, when it is questioned, you will initiate confidence. This is what God has and wants for our lives. He confesses his calling through confessing the promise and the provision and the strength that God will give him to fulfill the calling over Nehemiah's life. I replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall, but you have no share, no legal right, no historic claim, in Jerusalem. When you feel like the enemies are coming against you, when you feel like the enemy, Satan himself, are coming against you, trying to intimidate you, you need to first confess who you are, confess what you're called to, and just remind the devil that he's already lost the battle. I've read the end of the book, he always loses. Every time I read it, it's the same thing. He loses, he loses, he loses. Remind the devil, you've already lost, you're gonna lose. You've already lost, you're gonna lose. Remind the devil of his place. Because when you do that, when you do that, you bring yourself into focus. You bring yourself into focusing again on the task at hand, which is ultimately keeping Jesus at the center of your life, but also to keep your purpose intact. I remember in the beginning uh, of my journey, you know, uh, of launching into ministry, I was moving to the US to live there for a season. I remember talking to a friend of mine who at the time I was relatively close to, and he, and he told me when he heard that I was moving away and what I was gonna do, and he kind of knew my history, knew my background, you know, knew that you know, I, I had had a stutter and communication wasn't my strength, public speaking wasn't my strength, I was like the drummer, the background guy. This guy said to me, on the phone, I remember this conversation so, it was so impacting, but in a negative way. He said, you know, Sean, I'm kind of surprised that you're doing this. Like, I, I can see so-and-so and so-and-so doing that, but I don't know, I just can't see you doing that. It really affected me. I knew I was called to go. I knew what I was called to do, but that shattered my confidence. It was like the people that I love don't even believe in me. The people that I love don't even see it in me. And I had to shake off the intimidation I felt intimidated. I felt like, yeah, maybe I do suck. Maybe I can't do this. Maybe I'm just a background, you know, and that's okay. Drummer and public speaking will never be my, my strength. And, you know, just, it makes sense. 
But I had to shake off the intimidation by resting and reminding myself that I was called to go. When you, when you remind yourself that you're called to go wherever it is in life, you keep your confidence. I'll say it again, confess your calling. And when you confess your calling, you initiate confidence. Because every time you do that, you honor the one who has called you. Nehemiah had to do this when he was called into question. So number one, remain confident in the calling. Remain confident in the calling. Number two, don't engage the rage. This is a word for the season. Social media people out there, don't engage the rage. You know, newsmongers out there, don't engage the rage. Okay, one of the tools of the enemy is to suck you in to anger, to suck you in. It was like, that was Job's, one of Job's great tests. It was, and he even said it, it was in my anger, I have not sinned. Because when you get angry, if that gets out of control, you'll do things that you don't want to do. It's not a sin to be angry, but sometimes in your anger, it will lead you down a bad, hard path that you don't want to go down. Don't engage the rage. And I believe that Nehemiah had lots of temptation to engage the rage, but he didn't. And this is like, I mean, man, like I just gotta say this because in this season, this is one of the things that's come up so much to so many people. I have so many friends that are constantly in these battles and people are angry at them. They said this, they did this, they don't, they're not saying enough of this, they're not saying enough of that, or you know, whatever the case may be, they believe this, they support this. And so everybody's angry at everybody right now, it seems like, in just the world in general. And I, I think partly it has to do with the compounded effect of being in a global pandemic, which nobody really knows how to navigate emotionally and mentally, but it's really stirred up a lot of a lot of rage. And I want to look at how Nehemiah responded to anger, how he responded to rage. And I wanted to say this, that the thing that we always need to land on and do when the rage comes is to move in the opposite spirit. And one of the ways we move in the opposite spirit also is to have wisdom in what battles we are called to fight and what battles we are called uh, to not fight. Because if you engage in the wrong battle for too long, you'll eventually lose the battles that you were always created to win. Now, let me read Nehemiah chapter four. We're gonna skip a few chapters. Nehemiah chapter four, verse one to four. Okay, they're rebuilding the wall. Nehemiah is initiated. He's encouraged the people. Says this, Sanballat, who was an officer in Samaria, had authority, had influence. Sanballat was very angry when he learned that they were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage, rage. He was upset as if you're doing this. I don't support this. I don't agree with this. I don't share this value. This is wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. And he was on the outside looking in. And so he flew into rage and he mocked the Jews. So the rage actually moved into insults. They always go hand in hand. <clears throat> when someone gets this, which is why we have to protect our heart when we are angry or we can move into a dangerous place. It went from rage to mockery. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse two, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? Tobiah and the Ammonite who was standing beside him remarked that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. Do you feel like this is intimidating language? I do. Very intimidating language. 
what you're doing, it's all gonna fail, not solid, doing a horrible job, you suck. I mean, your ability, you don't have the ability to do this, you don't have the skill to do this, you're organizing it all wrong, you're leading all wrong, you're not building the church right, you're not doing this right, not doing enough of that, not doing enough of that, it's all gonna fall, you know, you should be doing this, should be doing that, I mean, the voices, the intimidation, I mean, every leader goes through this, whether it's in the marketplace, whether it's in family, whether it's in the church world, whatever world you swim in or live in and occupy, you're gonna go through this. You're gonna have to deal with intimidation. The intimidation that comes from the enemy often through people, not just through situations, but often through or manifest or expressed through people. And Nehemiah was having to navigate this. It says in verse four, then I prayed, hear us, O God, our God, for we are being mocked. His, his response was to change his focus. He could engage the rage. Instead of engaging the rage, he looked up. God, hear us. We're being mocked. This is challenging. Hear us. We're being mocked. For their May their scoffing fall back on their own heads. And may them, they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Man, I remember when we made some really big leadership decisions in 2013, I believe it was, in when we were, you know, we were leading the church, and uh, we made some big decisions. We went into a series called Retreat for over six months, and we shut down and put on pause every ministry in the church except for the essentials. It was like a pandemic in the church. Only the essentials remained, connect groups, outreach, the school, and our Sundays, and uh, everything else was shut down. And uh, just to recalibrate, to retreat, sometimes you got to retreat to recalibrate, to restore, to renew, to refocus, and we did that, and man, it was like... I, people came out of the woodwork on that one. It was like, if you do this, everything's gonna fall. You're gonna lose everything. I mean, it was cr very intimidating actually. And I had to literally navigate shaking off the intimidation. We felt as a leadership team to do this. Now I know that some of us, we had hesitation about it. I had hesitation about it, but we really went with what we felt God was doing even if our mind didn't comprehend it, didn't fully understand it. And so many people that weren't on that inside conversation had a really hard time with it. But honestly, I am so thankful. I have no regrets. There's nothing I would have done differently. It was what God had ordered in that season and some of the greatest things, breakthroughs and healing came out of that season and we were able to come out stronger. We were able to come out stronger, but I had to choose not to engage the rage because there was some definite rage. There was some definite, even when I stepped out and didn't step out into ministry the typical way, when I was called to move out, you know, of Canada and, and live in the, the U.S. for a while, then I began to launch, ministry, launch into ministry. I never wanted to be in ministry. It kind of just happened as an overflow of what I was already doing. But I remember people were like questioning me and they were getting upset with me. Are you kidding, Sean? You're being irresponsible. You have to do this, do this, do this. Go to this school, go to that school, get this degree. And you shouldn't be doing it this way. And there was just so much uh, doubt and unbelief being thrown at me and intimidation being thrown at me. I had one individual that I looked up to so much said, Sean, you need to get a plan B. Get a plan B. Don't be all in. Get a plan B. And all of this, on, honestly, felt like a rage against my calling. And I had to choose 
to not engage the rage. I had to choose to shake it off and build undistracted. I'm gonna build God's way. I'm gonna build the way he wants me to build. I'm not gonna just do what everybody wants me to do the way they wanna do it. I'm gonna build his way. And I'm telling you, I am so thankful that I stayed strong in what God had called me to do. It's like Acts chapter four, verse 13. Now, when the men of Sanhedrin, of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish high court, saw the confidence, everyone say confidence, and boldness of Peter and John and grasped at the fact that they were uneducated and untrained ordinary men. They were astonished and began to recognize that they had been with Jesus. This is not a verse to assault education. This is not a verse to excuse it or to uh, you know just champion being uneducated. This is simply to say that it wasn't the education that allowed the disciples to be who they were and for them to walk in how they walked in the authority and the power of God. It had nothing to do with their education, but had everything to do with them being with Jesus. The only thing that's gonna keep us outside of engaging the rage in a season like this to come out on top, stronger, bigger, better, is to be with Jesus. People will look at you and be like, wow, you may not have all the education in the world, or maybe you do, but guess what? This person, they've been with Jesus. Like when I get around them, I feel something. I feel love. I feel, I feel, Jesus didn't engage the rage. I mean, Jesus is one of the greatest models for this. Yes, he had moments of anger. He flipped tables, did some stuff, but he didn't engage the wrong battles, which is what I'm trying to get to. He didn't engage the wrong battles. He fought the right ones and as a result was able to fulfill his purpose. So number one, Number one, we have to remain confident in the calling. Number two, don't engage the rage. Number three, we gotta keep the word close. We gotta keep the word close. Such a powerful, powerful statement. Nehemiah 4, verse 17. They're rebuilding the wall. There's up and down emotions. People are discouraged. They're complaining. And in fact, if you read verses 7 to 15, they wanted to give up. There's just too much. The workers were getting tired. They were complaining. And there was threats. The, the enemy was planning to come in and throw them into confusion and then, and then kill them and end their work. And there were so many things going on. And so they, the Jews had to place defenses around the exposed, vulnerable areas and have families stand on guard. But I love what it says in verse 17. It says, those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and the other hand held a weapon. So important. We gotta keep the word close in this season. I've never encountered a stable believer in Jesus that does not know the word of God really well. And, and let me read it word like this. Whenever I encounter a flaky believer in Jesus, it's usually a reflection of the lack of depth in the word that they have. They're, 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 they're moved by every new thing on Facebook, every new movement they hear about, every you know news broadcast or media or video or conspiracy. They're so easily moved out of faith because of what they hear on the outside rather than letting God's word be built on the inside. They don't hold the word close. And that's why there's a flakiness. This is not an insult to people that you know may have an up and down 
faith. We all have an up and down faith at some level. We're all emotional. We're all emotional beings. It's okay to be up and down. Look at David. Look at David's life. I mean, he was an up and down mess, but I'm but he never wavered away from his connection with God, even in his up and down state. That's what I'm talking about. When you're flaky, it's like one minute you're over here, one minute you're over here, one minute you're over here. You don't even know what you believe anymore. Confusion reigns. Well, I'm telling you, confusion reigns because the word is not held close. If you wanna build undistracted in this season, get into the word, study the word. And why am I saying the word? What does this have to do with the scripture? Well, these guys were building with one hand they were constructing, they were building undistracted. And in the other hand, they had a weapon. What is our weapon? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter four that, that the Bible is a sword. It's a sword. It's a double-edged sword. And the Bible helps us discern what's of God and what's not of God. You can read it, Hebrews 4 verse 12. Powerful verse, it's living. The word is living and powerful, it says. Living and powerful as a double-edged sword in our life. It's a weapon. When we, how did Jesus fight in Luke, uh, in Matthew 4 and in Luke chapter 4, I believe it is. How did Jesus fight the devil in 40 days of temptation? Using the word. He was reciting Old Testament scripture to fight off and war against the enemy's temptation in his life. He had a sword he had a sword in one hand. As he was moving forward, as he was advancing through this wilderness experience, he was like holding that sword tight and he was slicing and dicing. This is what we need in this season. If you want to slice and dice through the junk, through the intimidation, shaking off the stuff that's coming against you, you need to hold the word close in this season. I just believe this. I mean, and I love this because it's funny because they actually became inconveniently innovative in this moment. They became inconveniently innovative. Imagine that for a second. This is not just an allegory or an illustration to draw some sort of spiritual true truth, you know. this They were actually building with one hand with a sword with a weapon in the other. Imagine how complicated and frustrating that would be. Well, that's kind of what we need to be like in this season. Grounded in the word as we build. Grounded in the word. Let the word be what guards you, protects you, defends you, and builds you up into the person of strength you need to be so you can do what God's called you to do. I encourage you, read verses 7 to 15 in chapter 4 to get a hold of what was happening, leading them up to what it says, what I just read in verse 17 about how they built and, and constructed with one hand and uh, held a weapon in the other hand. Now, the, so we have, I've already shared three keys. Number four, last one, the fourth key that I wanna share. Now, let me just, I wanna reiterate it again. We need to remain confident in the calling. Don't engage the rage. Keep the word close. And number four, we need to focus more intensely. Focus more intensely in this season. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your time on emotionally destructive distractions. If you want to shake off intimidation, really keep focused. And I would say even more intensely. When the pressure gets hotter, you get hotter in your passion. When the intimidation gets greater, you move more enthusiastically and passionate towards your purpose. Let me read out of Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. It says this, Send Balat, Tobiah, Geshem, and the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished now rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained. So now they're kind of finished, though we had not yet set up the doors in the gates. 
So Senballat and Geshem send a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But I realized they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them, I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. I am engaged in a great work. What I am doing is more important than your desire to have a conversation and distract me. What I am building is more important than your emotionally destructive distraction. What I am building is more important than your intimidation <clears throat> that's masked in some sort of um, wanting to have a conversation. I'm not gonna waste my time. It says here, why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Verse four, four times they sent the same message. Kind of what happens, I feel like, in today's world, you know, especially in social media. Everybody's, everybody's wanting to engage some sort of conversation when really we know nothing good is going to come of it. Nothing res of resolve is going to come of it. I'm not saying everything, but I'm saying there are certain conversations that nothing good will come out of because of the people that are involved in the conversation. It's just an unfortunate reality. Each time he says, I gave the same reply. Verse five, the fifth time, Senballat's servant came with an open letter in his hand. Now they're moving into threats. Now they're moving into, you won't meet with me. You won't have the conversation with me. Now the accusations begin. Now the intimidation gets a little bit hotter. Now we're gonna go after you. Now we're gonna lie about you. Let's, let me read it in verse nine of chapter six. This is what it says. Let's skip over four more verses. They were just trying to intimidate us. This is our opening verse. Imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So what did I do? I continued to work with even greater determination. I focused more intensely. I got more aggressive. The intimidation got intense, I got more intense. I love how the message says it in verse, uh, verse nine, the message translation. They were trying to intimidate us into quitting. They thought they'll give up, they'll never finish it. But I prayed, give me Strength. I love it again. We see Nehemiah's moving in the opposite spirit. God, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to engage here, but I'm going to engage here. God, I just pray for strength in this season. I don't want to waste my time. You've called me to build this wall, and I'm going to build this wall. Everything else can, can be put to the side. Every other conversation, every other battle that's not mine, that's trying to suck me in, that's going to that's gonna eventually try to, try to intimidate me, I'm going to shake it off. I'm going to build undistracted. I wrote this thing down. I wrote these seven elements of intimidation down just to, because I didn't read all the scripture. I'd encourage you to go back and read chapter one to chapter six. Read the story of Nehemiah. Read the, the process that he went through. I, there's seven real elements of intimidation that come forth through reading the story and all the attacks that came against Nehemiah and the people he was building with. Number one, it began with anger. Anger, which then sparks insults which then sparks conspiracy and war, which then sparks threats of all kinds, which then sparks craftiness, which then turns into false accusation, and then ultimately deceit. These are the seven elements of intimidation that we all, in every facet of life, will go through at some point because the devil doesn't want us to build. The devil doesn't want us to advance. The devil does not want us to move forward. And unfortunately, sometimes that influence is expressed 
through people around us that just want to hold us back, hold us down. I want to encourage you. Don't let the people hold you back in this season. Build undistracted. Move forward. Shake off the intimidation from the last season. Even if it's not been people in your life, it's been the season. It's been the pandemic. It's trying to intimidate you. I want to encourage you, focus more intensely. Remain confident in your calling. Don't engage the raid. Keep the word close. Keep the word tight. Build, but build with the word. Like I said in the very beginning, Nehemiah was a cupbearer. He was putting his life on the line every single day. He was a high officer. He was a high officer in the royal courts and his duty was to serve drinks at the royal table, but ultimately always put his life on the line for the king, making sure the king was protected. But the cup represents so much. The cup represents courage. The cup represents faith. The cup represents him in a process learning every day to shake off the intimidation of death. Every time he didn't want to drink the cup, every time he didn't want to do his role because of fear, every day he had to learn to shake off the intimidation. It was all preparation for his great calling to help the people rebuild the broken down walls of Jerusalem. The cupbearer had to lay down his life every day, just like Jesus, who is now our cupbearer. Remember I said that Nehemiah, his name means God will comfort. Well, Jesus, the great comforter, the one who solved it all for us, who fulfilled the law, who reconciled us back to God, he was also a cupbearer, so to speak. He bore the cup of death. In fact, it says in Luke 22, verse 42, he said to the Father, he said to his Father, God, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mind. He had a challenge with a cup. He had a challenge. He didn't want to drink the cup because he knew the cup meant death. This was a cup where there was no turning back. It wasn't like Nehemiah. I could live. He knew that if he drank this cup, it would all be over. He had to suffer through death so that we could have new life. One of the last things that was done to Jesus before he gave up his spirit found in John 19 verse 29 to 30. It says this, a jug of sour wine, a cup, was standing by. Someone put a sponge and soaked it with the wine on a javelin and lifted it to his mouth. After he took the wine, Jesus said, it's done, it's complete. And he bowed his head and he offered up his spirit. Such a powerful thing. Jesus was our cupbearer. And the, one of the last things he did on the cross was drink the sour wine. Why? So we could drink the new wine. Jesus became our cupbearer, drinking a cup that we would never have to drink the sour wine so we could enjoy the new wine. It's a new covenant. It's a better covenant. The old was great, but the new is even better. At weddings in that culture, they would save the best wine for last. Well, guess what? We are in the last covenant, the better covenant, the better way, the more glorious covenant, Paul calls it. And Jesus became our cupbearer, bearing death so we could be set free, so we could shake off intimidation and build undistracted in and through our lives. I want to encourage you in 2021 to go for it, to go after it, to go hard after it, to shake intimidation off. I want to pray, God, I pray that today you would move in great power. I pray that you would give us the courage to shake off intimidation. Give us the courage to overcome what's trying to overcome us. Give us the, the, the keys to see through the intimidation, to see what's really happening. God, we, we want to fight the right battles, not the wrong ones. We want to win the right battles 
and not lose the wrong ones in Jesus' name. God, we pray that you would just help us, lead us, guide us in this season. God, I pray that 2021 would just show so much fruit in our lives, our families, God, our vocations, in our businesses, whatever it is that we do, God, I pray that you would blow our minds as we build undistracted in this season. Give us joy. Give us joy and give us peace. God, give us just a strength in our step and in our walk in Jesus' name. I want to encourage you if you're watching this right now and you haven't started the year off yet by making your relationship right with Jesus. All you have to do is say yes. All you have to do is say yes to the greatest invitation to the greatest party on the planet and that's relationship with Jesus. Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, is God, and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. Paul says you'll become a new creation in Christ, that old things will pass away and all things will become new. My prayer in this new season is that you would experience the new version of you that was always destined to be in your relationship with God by letting him in and saying yes. I wanna encourage you, if that's you, you're sitting on the fence right now, you've never said yes to Jesus. Let me just remind you, he died on a cross, a sinless death to set you free, to forgive you of your past, present, and future sin. It's such good news, but it doesn't stop there. He rose again on the third day, which separates him from every other small g God out there. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me, he is the great doorway. He is the bridge to heaven, to all things good. And ultimately, it's his desire to restore you back to relationship with him. And so if you just open up your heart and you say, say yes to Jesus today, just say yes to forgiveness today, yes to his leadership over your life, less to yes to understanding that he is God and you are not, but yet he's invited you in to relationship and friendship with him. And all you have to do is say yes to receive his forgiveness, to receive his love, to receive his life. And it's the beginning of the greatest journey you'll ever embark on. I want to encourage you, if you've done that, if your heart is open today, email us the e to the email on the screen. We'd love to journey with you, pray with you, be a part of your journey. And I just want to encourage every one of you, every one of you in 2021, again, shake off intimidation. Kingdom Culture, we'll see you next week.